This is Mike. Mike lives in any town. He has a good job and a great group of friends. Now, Mike probably doesn't know this, but God loves him and is already at work all around him. In fact, some of Mike's friends already live differently through a relationship with God. They live loved. This brings us to Laura. Laura is one of Mike's friends, and she experiences life in a completely different way. Laura knows that God loves her, which enables her to live loved. She also lives linked in relationship with others in a community called the church. Laura's church gathers every week and lives life loved and linked, but the cool thing about them is they don't stop there. They also live sent. So Laura makes a bold move and shares the love of God with Mike, and he learns that through Jesus, he is loved by God and begins to love God in return. Here is the new Mike. Same job, same friends, but now he gets to live as one who is loved and linked and sent. Mike will go on to share the love of God with his friends in any town, in any country, on any continent, all over the world. And that's the way it should be. So what does this mean for us at Heritage? Well, we are striving to be a community that lives on mission and as people who are the church and don't just go to church. We live loved, linked, and sent wherever we go. This is how God seeks to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. In fact, God has already positioned us in locations to take part in an ever-expanding movement of God, and He's increasingly leading us to love and serve the Quad City area and beyond. But it all comes back to you, just one person. Because what impacts many starts with one, just one. One bold move by just one person. What's your next bold move? Well, hey, Heritage. I want to welcome everybody across our network. What you just saw was a video from our 50th anniversary celebration that we called Just One. And it's been almost two years from that celebration. And this is the second week of our Bold Move series, which is a conversation around the vision for our church and the reality that we all face crossroad moments. And what we do in those moments matters. It impacts us and those around us. Yet, Fear, uncertainty, even very real obstacles can rob us of God's best, and we don't want that. So last week, we laid the foundation of a few principles for this series that help us live boldly with God. And there was one specific challenge that I gave for all of us, and that was to live out Jeremiah 6.16, which is just up here on the screen and not in your guide, but check it out. It's what the Lord says, says, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient path, ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. To stand at the crossroads of life and ask, to look, and then walk boldly in the ways God calls us. See, we, we all face crossroad moments, and what we do in those moments matter, but there's really only four options at a crossroad. See, we can choose at a crossroad moment to turn and go our own way, try our own thing, do our own thing our own way. We can also turn and follow the world, follow those who are following the ways of the world, follow other people. We could even go back. We can go back to where we came from. We know it's familiar, it's comfortable. We can choose our comfort and go back. Or we can choose to boldly live into the adventure that God has for us, 
to risk with him into the seen and unseen of life. But the most difficult space to live in life is between that now and next. Or we've started into the journey, but we're not quite there. We've worked really hard and we're tired, but there's more work to be done. Where things are better, but not yet great. Where we've gotten closer, but we haven't arrived. And there's uncertainty involved. And the now and next space is the most difficult place. And it's the spot that where we start to waver, but it's the spot that we can make the greatest breakthrough. Because most of us in that now and next space are just one bold move away from breakthrough. If we just handle and steward the crossroad well. We saw in the life of the Israelites last week the principle that comfort is the enemy of kingdom. That when we're facing uncertainty, we're facing discomfort, we're, we're facing a lack of control, that can lead us to fear, and fear causes us to go back. Fear causes us to choose lesser things. Fear causes us to choose less risk. And when we choose less risk, that means we choose less meaning, which then means we choose less purpose, and then we ultimately then choose less relationship with God. There's a ripple. There's a ripple when we choose not to make a bold move. And it was the story of the British transatlantic ship Carpathia that helped us understand some of the realities around bold moves. And you can see the whole story and catch up on that on the media tab at heritageqc.com. But let me just revisit the concept for a moment. See, the Carpathia was on April 14, 1912, heading from New York to a port in Croatia, when the radio operator, whose name was Harold, heard a radio transmission for another ship, telling them there was ice. Now, Harold knew the other radio operator, was a friend of his on the other ship, and so he radioed directly to his friend James. And we got a hold of James. The only thing James said was, we've struck ice, come at once. See, James was on the Titanic. And immediately in that moment, it sent Harold into a series of bold moves, which then led to the captain of the ship into a series of bold moves. And it put the Carpathia on a, on a direct heading course to the last known location of the Titanic at max speed. And it was the bold moves of that captain on that ship that had the heat cut off to the ship and all the hot water steam redirected so every ounce of steam could be used to the engines to get there as fast as possible. And after they navigated their way through the ice fields, they arrived on scene four hours after the radio call, two hours after Titanic sank, and they were able to rescue more than 700 people. It's a a fabulous story. But what's striking in it is there was another ship nearby that was much closer than the Carpathia. So close, they could see the lights of the Titanic. But they had turned off their radio for the night. The radio operator was asleep. And they talked much about the mysterious ship and the lights that seemed to be heading away, but they had no idea what happened until late that next morning when they turned the radio back on. And they were irrelevant to rescue. See, it was Harold Cottam and Captain Arthur Henry Rostrum who were willing to risk and sacrifice, willing to forfeit the comfort of everybody on board for the possibility of rescue, willing to overcome obstacles, willing to fight for what was right, willing to make the bold move so that there would be the possibility of rescue. Now, that was the story we visited last week, but there's a bit more to the story. See, the night that the Titanic sank, they were not prepared for what they experienced, not prepared for that crisis. And if you saw the 1997 movie, you saw that very clearly illustrated. And for those of you who are fans of that movie, I just want to acknowledge there's been some debate of whether or not there was room on the door with Rose for Jack if Rose just would have moved over. And I just want to say for the record, yes, there was room for two. Hashtag, there was room for two if Rose just would have moved over. 
Beyond that, though, that wasn't the biggest problem. The biggest problem was Titanic didn't have enough lifeboats. They had lifeboats for almost 1,200 people, and there was nearly double that on board. They were only able to launch 18 of the lifeboats successfully. Most of them launched half full. But nearly all of them, once they were away, decided and refused not to return to rescue those who were still in the water. They were afraid of what it would cost them, of what that would mean, risk they would get swamped by those trying to get into the boat. So they chose their own comfort, they chose not to make bold moves, and they just sat in their own rescue. There's more to that story as well that I want to share with you, but it reminds me that good is the enemy of great, but comfort is the enemy of kingdom. And in the bold move moments of life, whether they're an ethical dilemma, whether it's a crisis moment, pursuit of a new job, a risk, a, that private choice to do the hard right over the easy wrong, those bold move moments position us to see a ripple. We all face them at crossroads. And I want to take a moment today to go back to the story of the Israelites in the Old Testament to see how they're handling their next bold move. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it and click or turn to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 1 in the Old Testament the scriptures we're going to be reading through are going to be on the screen. They're in your note guide, but I encourage you to follow along in your Bible if you've got it with you. You see, the Israelites were God's chosen people. They were privileged to see God do miraculous things, but yet they consistently struggled to trust and obey. The Bible records many examples of them demonstrating faithfulness, but then also unfaithfulness. But what preceded the part we're about to read today was 40 years of consequence for not taking a bold move not stepping into what God wanted. So at the beginning of Joshua chapter 1 is where we can pick up the story. I want to start with verse 1. It was after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. This moment is preceded by 40 years of wandering. The Israelites had previously chosen not to make a bold move and enter the promised land that God said. And it's easy for us to sit back and say, that was foolish, you shouldn't have done that. But you got to understand something. The people of God really can do one of two things. They can either choose their own comfort or choose to conquer. Not both. Either choose what is or was or to step into what can be, to either return or to risk, to go back or to go in. There's only one of two options. And in the dynamic that we're looking at today, Israel is poised to actually step into what can be. They had chosen poorly before, they therefore wandered because of it, but now they're about to move from wandering to conquering. They chose not to go last time, but this time they stand at the dawn of a new day. It's the edge of the Jordan River, and all they had to do was consecrate themselves to God and obey. And it seems pretty simple, but it required a great step of faith. However, if they would do it, God would do amazing things among them. Because, because God removes great obstacles through simple obedience. And bold obedience is the precursor to divine favor. Bold obedience to the people of God is the precursor to divine favor in the circumstances that the people of God live. Bold obedience allows us to experience him, 
allows us to know him. It's not about earning something, but about positioning ourselves to receive something. Positioning ourselves to let God work through us and not ever have to work in spite of us. And Joshua understood that principle. And so in verse 10, he does something specifically. He goes to the officers and he says to them, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land. The Lord your God is giving you for your own. There is a very different tone here than what was said or communicated or in the dynamic of the people of God 40 years prior. There's a certainty that wasn't present in Numbers 13 and 14. But here it's a dramatically different environment. But that's not the only difference. If you continue to read around this passage, you'll see a couple of different things in contrast. Let me just walk down through a few of them. One was that Moses was leading last time. Joshua was leading this time. Beyond that, the first time, Moses sent out 12 spies as directed. But this time, Joshua sent out two. And I don't find that to be a coincidence I believe it's telling and it speaks back to the last time because it took only two people to understand what God wanted to do and the other 10 spies were a distraction. So Joshua sent two. The first round of spies were sent out publicly. The second were sent out in secret, privately. The first round, they went for 40 days in the land to explore, but they ended up moving from exploring to assessing and evaluating. And the second time, they went in for three days. And it was all about the battle plan. There was a certainty to it. Because last time they decided not to go, they chose disobedience. This time they would choose obedience. They would make the bold move, and that would have a huge ripple. And what we're reading right now in Joshua is an exciting moment because the people, the people who had teenagers before had seen their parents and grandparents choose not to go in and then watch their parents and grandparents die in the desert or they were born in the desert hearing stories about what could have been. And now they're poised at the verge of a new day with clear opportunity. And there's very clear distinctions, differences between the first time and the second time. But one, the biggest distinctions are whether or not they choose comfort or conquer. Whether or not they would return or risk. Whether they would choose fear again or choose faith. And so in this moment, there's a defining moment, a crossroad moment that takes place. And Joshua is declaring it. But the people still get to choose. And there's something important to realize about bold moves. Bold moves are not reactive. Bold moves are not reactive. They're not knee-jerk. They're not random. They're grounded in something bigger. They're grounded in truth. They're grounded in purpose. They're grounded in kingdom. And therefore, circumstances around them become context and not filters of right and wrong. Bold moves are not impulsive or impatient. They're not reactive. They are responsive. They're responsive to God. Bold moves are not reactive, they are responsive to his plan, to his authority, to his purpose, to his leadership. They, they depend on that. And, and that dependence on him gives us the ability to act boldly and courageously in the face of something that may have obstacle. It, it allows us to be dauntless, not to be intimidated by the mistakes at previous crossroad moments, but to be fearless and to be bold. And the people would need it because they face the same obstacles that were there 40 years ago. And more so, same giants, same obstacles, plus they're about to cross a flooded river, the Jordan. The Jordan normally, when you're at a crossing point, is about three feet deep at this point in history. But at this point where we're reading in Joshua chapter 3, it's at flood stage. The spring rains and the melting snow on Mount Hebron have created and made this, this torrential river flooding in front of them. 
Yet, again, the boldness of bold moves is not based on the level of risk, but based on the level of release, based on the level of dependence that we choose to put on God, based on the level of release to him. It's not the risk, it's the release that makes a bold move a bold move. So here's what happens as we continue to read. We're moving on to chapter three. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shatima and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went through the camp. Now, you got to think that three days of camping next to the river had to have this huge sense of anticipation. This probably this odd mix of like pre-game jitters and Christmas morning expectation. It was like this this weird thing of like, let's go, but oh my goodness, we've got to go. And when the officers go through the camp, they're giving orders to the people. And here's what they say. When you see the Ark, of the, Co- the, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. Now, 2,000 cubits is about 1,000 yards. 10 football fields, 900 meters. It's a demonstration, that space is a demonstration of respect and honor, but also a clear affirmation that they were not going to go if God was not going before them. They were making the bold move with dependence and in release. And Joshua goes on to say in verse 5, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you consecrate yourselves. There's a number of applications for the word consecrate, but in this context, it's to devote or be dedicated to a purpose, set apart and dedicated to the service of God. It's, it's to prepare, to sanctify. It speaks to holiness, to being separate, and it's appropriate because they were standing at the dawn of a new day a new crossroad moment, and this time, at the edge of the Jordan River, and all they needed to do was consecrate themselves and obey. Obey in bold moves, because God's best always requires the bold moves of his people. To experience God's best in life will always require the bold moves of his people. And bold moves may look different between individuals, If someone's struggling with a habit or an addiction that has a different bold move than somebody that's in an unhealthy relationship that needs to change, or somebody who's pursuing a new job, they may look different between individuals, but there's a corporate reality. There's an individual and a corporate reality, and the corporate reality is always reflected in purity. It's always reflected in dauntless obedience. It's the people of God pursuing the will of God, and we are always more together than we are apart. And God's best is always going to require the bold moves of his people. And I know as the pastor of Heritage Church that we as Heritage family are on the verge of a new day. We're standing at our own Jordan River. We've experienced many things over our 50 plus year journey. And over the years, we've witnessed a number of seasons. And this next season, in this next season, God is calling us, the Heritage family, to be the catalyst of a regional movement that ripples across generations and decades to come. A regional movement. You see, as a church family, we've made some bold moves individually and corporately. Bold moves out of our Just One celebration have led us to now. In fact, in the dynamic of Just One, as we stepped out of that moment asking all of us to make our bold move, we had, we had three expressions in two locations. And as we stepped from Just One, we made bold moves. 
Those two locations could be spoken to of just saying that Rock Island and our Vida Nueva campuses were, were gathered in one location and our Bettendorf campus in another. Two specific locations. But as we as a church family, individually and corporately, have taken steps and bold moves in obedience, God has gone before us and he has continued to position us with even more opportunities to see him work, to see him move, to see his glory as he removes obstacles in our simple obedience. And as we have done this, Over the last year and a half plus, God has gone before us in so many ways. It is unbelievable to see his favor and positioning us to be a catalyst of his love and grace and gospel in the cities around us and the region as a whole. And there are a number of things here. We've gone from two specific expressions where we're on the verge of nine. Nine. And I want to take a few moments to unpack with you what these realities are. And I want to start with our Bettendorf campus. Now, I'm going to acknowledge, I'm going to give you a lot of information here. You don't have to retain it all. I just want you to sit back and listen to the realities of what God has been doing in our dynamic. And Bettendorf, I want to start with you first. Because in this past season, we've invested in some now and next realities. And we've been investing in our lower level redesign to shape that whole downstairs area to be a a space for more effective worship and, and discipleship for all ages. We've even more recently invested in simulcast enhancements to make that experience better because we're committed to a worship experience of excellence. But in this next season, as moving into the next reality, we're going to invest in some worship center enhancements as well. And so, Bettendorf, listen up for a second. We're going to be getting new chairs. Yeah, new chairs. Chairs very much like the chairs here at the, ben, at the Rock Island campus. Padded, wider. It, we want to create the right experience in that place. And so that's one of the next in our Bettendorf paradigm. But that's not the only one. So as you settle down from celebrating the chairs, let me just take a moment to acknowledge this. You guys know what this stuff is, right? This is that blue mulch stuff that we've got down in the lobby. And as we engage in some enhancements in the lobby space for better connection and community, we're getting rid of the blue mulch. It's going away, and we're replacing it with with high-quality padding and foam in that space. Those are just a couple of the changes. But here's, you got to understand, Bettendorf, you're already poised to make a difference in your region. We've established a relationship with the Bettendorf Middle School, and we see that relationship growing. And Bettendorf, you're the primary champion of the network initiative at the Jefferson School. Some now and next for Bettendorf. But let me jump to the Esperanza Center in Avita Nueva campus because as we exited out of just one, this didn't exist. It's just been in the last season that God has allowed us to launch Avita Nueva in that space, to launch the Esperanza Center. And I got to tell you, we currently sit with 17 different partnership organizations and relationships out of that space at Esperanza. Yes, you can clap for that. It, it, it is a center of collaboration where the gospel of Jesus is being proclaimed. Beyond that, we launched the Esperanza Child Care Center. And in this next season, those are the nows, the next, we're launching the Legal Assistance Center and continuing to expand partnerships with, with organizations like Black Hawk Community College. Great opportunities between the now and the next. But let's jump to Jefferson School for a moment. Jefferson School has been a place where we've been able to establish relationships with teachers through teacher encouragement. We've been working through the food pantry, and we as a church family have been feeding 36 families, families and children who don't have food when they go to school. 
We launched Quest for Christ. And so very specific discipleship and, and, and gospel presentations in those environments. But in this next season, we see greater classroom support through reading programs and, and greater relationships with teachers where God is using those relationships for him. And we're expanding the baseball ministry. These are things that did not exist a year and a half ago. Let's jump further into the next part of our dynamic, the Rock Island campus. You folks, guys here, listen. In this next season, we're redesigning room 102, which is just out here to my right, to be a space, a multi-use space where we can worship and develop leaders and disciple across all ages. In addition to that, we're doing some redesign in the lobby for greater connection and greater community. And we're repurposing our office spaces because we've reached a point where it's no longer good stewardship for us to lease the spaces across the parking lot. And so we're redesigning and reconfiguring the use of those spaces so that the resources we've been using for leasing can go back into direct ministry in other places. In Rock Island, you have some responsibilities and network realities. One of those could be just specifically around the Rock Island County Jail. If you've been tracking recently what God has allowed us to do in that space where people are making decisions for Jesus in this space, we facilitated multiple Christmas worship services in that space. Listen, Rock Island. I need you to pray, and if God stirs your heart, I need Rock Island to engage in a greater way in the Rock Island County Jail. Beyond that, Thurgood Marshall School. We have unprecedented invitation into the Rock Island School District, specifically at the Thurgood Marshall School. And just as Bentendorf is the primary champion for the Jefferson School realities, Rock Island, you're the primary champion for Thurgood Marshall. And we're positioned to start teacher engagement and food pantry realities and I'm excited to see what comes over the next season as we lean into this opportunity. But beyond that, there's another network reality, and it's the launch of the Kiwani Correctional Center campus. Again, if you've been tracking this thing, you, you begin to understand how God is going before us and granting us favor. Where we've been invited to be in that space to share the love of God the gospel of Jesus Christ, to address the whole person, to see transformation holistically of the inmates there. And we're ready to step in and engage and launch. As soon as the inmates are in place and ready, we're going to do that. And we expect that to be sometime this winter. Folks, you got to understand, these are just a few of the ways that God is calling us to risk and step boldly in this next season for the next generation. Even beyond these realities I've talked about, God is positioning us with even greater ripple regionally. We're in conversation with like-minded churches who want to connect more meaningfully into our network. So we're having those conversations. But most of these things that we're talking about happened just in the last year and a half. As we've gone from two expressions in the cities to nine different things. On the verge of nine different expressions. Where we are the people of God living on mission together to see God's kingdom advanced. But listen... If one of these things has stirred your heart and you're not engaged, I need you to get engaged. In fact, go to heritageqc.com, go to the sent page and find the information in there. If you don't find what you're looking for, fill out the electronic form on the side panel, but engage in these opportunities. Don't be left behind in the things that God's calling us to. As a network, we exist to connect people to God, to each other, and to their divine purpose. That's why we exist. We talk in terms of living loved and linked and sent. And we pursue that as we multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. And there's other investments across our network, things that are improving our leadership pipeline, things that are improving our, our group life dynamics, and there's even more than that to come. And I realize you're processing a lot of information already, but I want to talk about one more thing and ask you to do one thing. 
If, if you've been doing the math or you've been counting, you realize we've only talked about eight and not nine. And there's one other thing, one other initiative that I want to talk about. In fact, it is our next bold move. The, the Kiwani campus, the Rock Island County Jail, the Jefferson Realities, Thurgood, all those things are in process and in motion and there's still more work to be done. But this last piece is a bold move of obedience that positions us to accomplish all of those things and others. And I'm convinced that God is calling Heritage Church to be a catalyst, the lead catalyst, in a movement that ripples across these cities and this region for decades and generations to come. As a leadership team, we know it's supposed to happen and that it can happen. And we believe that it can happen here. We believe it can happen in the center of the cities. The, the final part of our vision for the next season is what I like to think of as the epicenter initiative. It's not about a building, but a movement. And, but as we prayed and we've explored this, we realized we can't do this from our existing locations. We can't reach all 200,000 people who don't know Jesus in our cities from the three locations that we're currently in. And we can't sustain the movement of the scale and scope that he is asking us through our existing spaces or locations. But we believe God wants to position us to be a catalyst in a place like this. And what I mean by this is the former Kone building. You may recognize the building because you've seen the tower, but you may not understand the building that's connected and attached beneath it. It is a facility with an extensive office space and substantial warehouse space. It's the former headquarters of the world headquarters for the Kone company. It's now for sale. It's 117,000 square feet. It's immense. And we've prepared a video to help you get a sense of the size and scale of what this facility is as we begin to look at what can be. So check this out.
This is our next bold move. This, this initiative centers around the acquisition and repurposing of that building to serve as a regional hub and the epicenter of a powerful movement of God across these cities and the Midwest region. And although the initiative centers around the acquisition of a building, this is not about a building, but about a movement, a movement of multiplying disciples, leaders, and churches. We're not seeking to build something here. We're seeking to start something, to start something that will outlast us, that will ripple for generations to come. And we're thinking in terms of this facility being the hub and being a center. In fact, a center of four specific things. Let me just talk you through it for just a moment. First is a center of intercession, a center of prayer. We literally see using that space in the tower, which is a boardroom environment with a 360-degree view of the cities, as a place of 24-7 prayer, and that's it. A place to pray without ceasing for our cities. A center of intercession, but also a center of multiplication, of, of multiplying disciples, leaders, and churches, of leadership and education development. We've been in conversation with a an uh, academic institution about having graduate and postgraduate classes in that space to position us to train and equip world changers to go around the world to make a difference for him, a center of multiplication, but also a center of reconciliation, a place where we address the, the broken relationships and broken systems of our world. We address the issues of biblical justice and engage second gap realities, a center of reconciliation, and fourth, a center of collaboration, a place of partnership, the facility is so immense and so unique that it's very easy to see inviting partners and other like-minded organizations to be in that space for little to no overhead so that they can do their ministry in these cities and see these cities changed. We see this as a center of those four realities. And I realize this is big and, and, and can feel overwhelming. But I want you to know that we as a leadership team have been praying and exploring this for quite some time, and we believe it is our next bold move. And today I want to invite you into that prayer journey with us. This is the brick building to tennis club for this next season move, for this next generation. And I'm not able to answer or address all the questions that you have already this weekend, but starting today and into next weekend and beyond, we're going to share more details and have more conversation. This is not reactionary as an initiative. It's visionary as an initiative. It's rooted in what we believe is obedience. It is not our intent in any way to reduce or shrink any aspect of our network, but to truly be this, have this be an expression of multiplication, one that we have a heartbeat of doing so without incurring more debt, but to do debt-free. But in order for that to happen, God needs to show up, the people of God need to show up, and we can't do this and don't want to do this on our own. In fact, if you're still following in your note guide in the so what section, we find a statement, a statement that says that divine favor is not realized apart from divine presence. The favor of God is not realized apart from the presence of God, and, and nothing is impossible for him. With him, all things are possible. He removes great obstacles through simple obedience. And early on in the journey towards the promised land, even Moses acknowledged this reality. It's captured in Exodus. Here's what Moses said to God. He said, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. That's our heartbeat. That's my heartbeat. I refuse to chase anything that he doesn't already go ahead of us into, that he isn't calling us into. And the entire church board and the whole leadership team is 100% unified and unanimous in the endorsement of this bold move. This conversation is not a report of spies in conflict. 
We have complete unanimity in this. And our prayerful and responsive reconnaissance by the Lord's leading has led us to this moment and an opportunity to begin to unpack this with you, our next bold move. Now, again, this is big. It's huge. It's a lot. And we will take weeks and months to process and pray through this together. Now is not the time to do anything but consecrate yourself. We're committed to doing anything and everything he asks. So we're going to take time to talk and process and share a bit more of the what and the why and the how behind this. The Kone initiative would certainly be the biggest of the things we're leaning into, but it's not the most important. It would be the most connected, most interconnected, because it positions us to accomplish every other reality more effectively. But the heartbeat behind this is not about a building. It's about the reality that God is calling us to be the lead catalyst in a, in a movement that ripples across this region for generations to come. And it's, it's not about us, but it will require bold moves from us. And there'll be more information to come as, as we continue to unpack next weekend and beyond. We believe that all of these initiatives can be accomplished with a four to five million dollar budget. And in that journey, as we are able to raise more and more funds, it positions us to more increasingly obey and step into it. And my heartbeat is that we could do all of these things and step fully from this season free of debt entirely. But it requires each one of us to step sacrificially and engage in obedient steps of just hearing him and obeying him. But again, we're going to talk more through this over the next few weeks, and I realize that you've got information or questions spinning in your head, and we're going to talk more. And I realize for some of you, you feel overwhelmed, and I, and I get that. This is big. For some of you, you're pumped and ready to roll, saying, let's go. I understand that too. And some of you, you have concern, and that's natural. But I want to ask all of us to wait upon him, to spend time with him, to let him go before us, I've not given you enough information to process this fully. I'm just inviting you into the prayer journey with us this week. Talk to him. Let God speak. My question for you is, is really how do you need to position yourself into this next season? How do you need to consecrate yourselves to be dauntless for him? What do you need to do in purity, in obedience, in submission, in sacrifice to be dauntless for him? We're not chasing a thing, we're chasing him. And I know this conversation puts you in the middle of the now and next with me and the leadership team. I know that, I own that, I accept that. I'm putting you in the now and next and I already said that's a tough place to sit. But what I'm asking you to do with these things over the next week is just to pray. Just talk to God about them. Don't try to solve this and don't try to assess this. Chew on this with God. I acknowledge though that I'm gonna leave you in attention Attention in that now and next. I own that, but I believe you can handle it. Today is not the day for us to act on any of this. Today is the day not for us to try to solve or to assess this, but to consecrate ourselves, to prepare to explore through personal time with God. There will be a tension until we can discuss this further. I know that, but take that tension to prayer and spend it with him and be careful not to choose poorly in the now and the next and in that tension. I told you earlier that there was more to the story around the sinking of the Titanic. They didn't have enough lifeboats. They were able to launch only 18 successfully. And I said that nearly all of them chose not to come back and rescue anybody else. Most of them half full or less. But there was one boat that immediately returned. It was lifeboat four. Lifeboat four immediately returned and began to rescue people out of the water. About an hour later, another boat, lifeboat 14, 
saw what was happening and reconfigured their people with some other boats and they came in and rescued a few, but nobody else did. They all chose their own comfort. They all sat safe in their own rescue and they didn't make a bold move. Heritage, we have always been a church that cares about the lost and now's not the time to quit. Now's the time to consecrate ourselves, to sit in stillness before the Father and listen and obey. The thing I'm talking to you about cannot be done without God. It is beyond us. And quite honestly, if we're chasing things as a church that don't require him, they're probably not the things he wants us to chase. If you're living your life individually and you don't need God to show up in it, you're probably not living fully in the purpose he has for you. We need God to show up in this. And I refuse to go if he doesn't come. I have that posture as Moses that if he doesn't go before us, I'm asking he doesn't send us up from here. But what I'm asking of you as I'm leaving you in attention with your head spinning and all kinds of emotions, to take that tension to prayer this week and come back next week as we begin to dig further into the principles, the biblical principles God has for us and the realities around the initiatives he's calling us to. In fact, what I want to do is I want to end our time in prayer. I want to end our time in just a, a moment even of consecration for you. So I want to invite you right where you're at to take a prayer posture that's comfortable to you. I'm going to end up kneeling right about here in this spot. I'm going Bettendorf to lean into this. You take a place wherever you want here in Rock Island to just take a posture of prayer. And we're going to spend a few moments consecrating ourselves and consecrating our church as a whole to God's purpose and plan. And next week, I want, to, I want you to come back, prepared to lean into further conversation of what God is calling us to, the bold moves he's calling us to for his glory and purpose. So as we get ready to step back into worship through song, Let's spend a few moments in worship through prayer and invite you to join me. Heavenly Father, my Lord and my God and my King, it is with great confidence we come before you this morning, not because we deserve it or owed it or even qualified to do it, but because your Son Jesus has made a way. Through his sacrifice, through his resurrection, through his power in our life, we, we can approach boldly. And so this morning we approach boldly, seeking you and your will. God, my desire, our heart's desire is that we would hear you and obey you in every aspect of life, individually and corporately. And as a church, Father, it's clear to me, you're calling Heritage to be the lead catalyst in a movement that ripples across generations, across this region. We're not to do it alone. We're to do it in partnership with other like-minded churches and organizations. I know that, but I, I'm convinced, Father, you want us to take the first step. You want us to be the boat for in this equation. You want us to make that move first, and, and I want us to be positioned to do that. So, Lord, I invite you to speak to us, our hearts and our minds this week as we each take these ideas to prayer, as we each process, whether it's with, with excitement or with concern, whether it's with question or with anticipation. Lord, may we sit in those spaces seeking to hear you and experience you. Because we want to be a people, Father, who step boldly, who experience not only your favor, but your presence. So, Lord, as my brothers and sisters take time to process in your, in your presence, as they take time to process in prayer this week, as they think and, and pray through these realities, may you show up in those spaces and you confirm your purpose, you confirm what you want. Show each of us, Father, what bold obedience is, what, what our bold moves are, maybe in our family, maybe in our workplace, but also, Lord, for us as a church, because it matters. We don't want to choose our own comfort. We don't want to stand by while somebody else acts, but we want to make the bold move. 
releasing to you so that you are glorified and pleased. In the end, Father, everything we're talking about is about you and your kingdom. It is about your glory. It is not about us. So as we take time to once again stand and look and ask to seek to walk in the good way, may you speak and lead. Help us to be a people who don't sit in our own rescue, not caring about those who have not yet been rescued. So Lord, I want to leave my friends who are praying with me now in their own moment of consecration and silence. As we step back into worship, I'm going to step away. But as they continue to talk to you, Father, may you continue to speak.